My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Hey there, Sunrise Church. Uh, Taylor here, the youth pastor. So glad to see you. Well, I don't get to see you yet, but uh, we're getting there. We're getting closer to the church um, opening its doors on Sundays, which is super, super exciting for us to be together and get to see each other's faces. We got to kind of have maybe some small groups already meeting right now. And man, it's just been so good, the little bit of um, interaction we've had. But as you know, here at Sunrise, it's bigger than that, man. We want to lead you in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we believe that's done by making disciples who make disciples through kind of our four steps here of connect, grow, serve, and lead. And we see that happen in Jesus' ministry as he calls 12 men to follow him. And as they follow him, they're not called to like leave everything right off the get-go, but actually he meets them where they're at and pulls them through those steps. You know, the come and see, the come and follow me, to come and die and then to go and make you know he takes fishers of men and turns them into leaders and i think that it's just so beautiful that man jesus could take these fishermen and that they would actually go and make disciples and die for the cause of the resurrection and man just want to share a little bit of my journey because that's how I got here. You know, I went through connect, grow, serve, and lead. I went from come and see to, man, go and make. And my journey, man, I Jesus has been pursuing me my entire life. But as I showed up here on the steps of sunrise, man, it, was, it wasn't too long after I surrendered my life to him that he invited me in and I actually started to follow him. I started to grow as listening to messages, kind of getting plugged in at sunrise. Actually was a volunteer youth pastor at our Cornelius campus back in the day. Um, I also started to come to meetings before I was ever paid to be here or be a pastor because, man, I just wanted to do what God was calling me to do. You know, it's so important. He says, hey, if you want to find your life, you got to lay down your life for him. And to me, that meant not just doing what I wanted, but actually doing what he called me to do. And so, man, as this journey has kind of unfolded and I've, I've learned through, man, the gracious uh, people at Sunrise Church how to lead, who have allowed me to lead, um, man, God has been moving and working in my journey in a way that is just, man, I'm so excited for the next steps. As you, some of you may know, um, man, I've, I'm moving on to senior leadership as Pastor James kind of equips me and shows me the ropes. And the first step in making that happen means I got to step away from youth pastor which is honestly it's really hard it's really really hard but what's so great about it and why I celebrate about it is because I want to introduce to you who we believe is going to be the next youth pastor and lead our students in this growing relationship with Jesus Christ 
All right, and I'm excited to introduce to you Chris Alley. Man, Chris Alley, we've been praying for him. We're so excited that he's here. Um, this has not been a rush process, but one where we have just said, hey, God, who do you want it to be? And we believe Chris is the man. And so, man, I, we're, Chris is going to come on in July 1st with us. We're actually taking students down to Camp Tadmore for a mission trip on July 6th for a couple days down there. And Chris is going to be joining us and kind of getting to know our students and really enter in as the youth pastor. So, Chris, tell them a little bit about yourself. I know you. I've been through this process with you and everything. But Sunrise, what, what, would, what would they need to know about you and where you come from and kind of your journey? Yeah, uh, my name is Chris Alley. I uh, grew up down in Lebanon, so right down the road from Camp Tadmore. I went to Lebanon First Baptist Church my entire life. Um, and I didn't really hear God's calling in my life until I was around 19. And at that point, I decided I really wanted to uh, go serve at Camp Tadmore, where I grew up. And um, that really catapulted me into a life of ministry. And it took a long time to figure out what that looked like. Um, but God really called me into youth ministry. And I served as an intern down at Lebanon First Baptist Church for four years. And I served coffee on the side at Dutch Bros. And I learned a lot. Went through convergence training uh, during that time through CB Northwest. And then after that four years, I got on it the full-time youth pastor position in 2017. I've been there for three years now, and man, I could go on talk hours and hours about what God has taught me and all the things he's revealed to me about myself and about him and his kingdom and his people, but I hope we can have a conversation about that sometime. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to be here and take on this role, and I'm excited for the chance, and thank you guys, and I look forward to seeing you guys as well whenever we can meet up. Man, we're really excited about this journey with Chris um, and what we're going to do for the next six months. Uh, I'm going to spend a lot of time, me and Chris, together as I hand off the youth ministry together, get kind of mentor him. But man, Chris has so much experience coming in that we know he's going to be such a great fit. Our students are going to fall in love with him. Our leaders are going to fall in love with him. But then starting about January, I'm going to really be out of youth ministry fully um, because I'm going to be spending time with Pastor James and you can pray for me because me and him are going to be very close in this time as he teaches me about senior leadership and I'll be preaching more in that in that season as well as I kind of enter into this role of really what it means to lead others in this growing relationship and so that's kind of my journey and and where I've come from this is Chris's journey and it's great how God has made this such a beautiful journey for all so pray for us because we're all in this together um, we love you guys. We can't wait to see you in person and really, uh, really get to be the family that God has made yeah. us. Thank you.
All right, welcome everybody. Really excited to be sharing God's word with you. Before I do that, I wanna let you know that we have great opportunities to gather together online together. We have watch parties that are starting because we're allowed up to 25 people in faith communities. Uh, we're gathering together in homes right now. And if you wanna know more about that, all you gotta do is email us at pastors at isunrise.com. Again, if you have a prayer request, just type it into prayers at isunrise.com. So we could pray and be a part of the body. We sent out a survey about a week ago and it was a great, tremendous response. Thank you so much for doing that. And we discovered that just over half of you cannot wait to get back into this place. And so you're ready to bust down the doors. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to do that. It might be on June 28th. Uh, I was just brokenhearted when our governor put the pause on everything. And so that may or may not affect it. We will let you know when we will be ready to actually gather together because we can gather in groups of up to 250. We've got already plans for all three of our services, the 9, 11, and the 6, to go back to live, as well as streaming at the 11 o'clock, which might include some overflow rooms. In fact, when we know the date we are allowed to open, we will send out one final survey. We'll ask you just simply which service you're coming to, because we need to prepare for that. And so in the anticipation of that, we're starting a new series this summer called Questions I've Wanted to Ask God. And uh, some of you sent in questions, some of the questions that have come about because of COVID-19, because of some of the other things going on in our, our communities and in our world today. We're just going to deal with those and take a look at those and ask the key question, what does the Bible say? What does God say about it? Well, today I want to ask this question, and it's simply this. Why do we continue to struggle with racism? Why, why is that such a volatile, painful issue in our world today? I mean, I don't need to tell you that the world is turned upside down. And really, with George Floyd's passing, his death, because of the color of his skin, our hearts have been broken. There's been a tremendous amount of pain in result of that and violence. And what do we do with that? If you read his story, he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was a part of a ministry uh, reaching street kids down in Houston. And he, he, was, uh, he was a lover of God and a lover of people. But he still, he still was killed. Uh, just a couple months ago, we were reeling with the death of um, Ab, um, Ahmad Aubrey, and, and he was shot point blank by a shotgun three times because of the color of his skin. What are we to do with that in America? You know, the systemic racism in our country has not only resulted in these uh, horrific, horrific murders in the name of supremacy. It's resulted in incredible inequality in our country. Just a couple start stats and charts I want to share with you. Number one, when it comes to wealth, the typical black household has accumulated only about one-tenth the wealth of a white family. Why? Well, it, it stems mostly because of a lack of home ownership. And if you go back in history, you'll discover that in many places, including Portland, blacks were not allowed to get mortgages in the 50s and 60s, even into the 70s. And that means they typically earn less than whites. Uh, income, it's more difficult for black families to save and to build wealth just simply because of the inequality uh, with, the, with the job. Even though you may have the same job in the same position, the same education, there's discrimination. Unemployment, for decades, uh, the jobless rate for blacks was typically more than twice that for whites. Uh, the gap narrowed recently, but then, of course, because of coronavirus, that has spiked up. Poverty, 
The nation's poverty rates for blacks is just over 20%, 8% for whites. Healthcare, black workers are 60% more likely to not have health insurance than white workers. And the coronavirus, we have seen this, that the number of people that have diabetes and illnesses and high blood pressure and obesity are higher in the African-American community, which means that COVID-19 is far more deadly if the color of your skin is black versus the color of your skin being white. Now, what are we to do with that? You know, it was 401 years ago when a group of Africans came across on a ship and they landed in Jamestown, Virginia, becoming our first slaves which led to a very violent, horrific history, a long and painful, shameful part of our country. Uh, but friends, we, we have to read church history because it's not just a part of American history, it's a part of Christian history. Uh, we cannot forget the fact that many, many, many people use the name of Jesus to suppress, to abuse, to destroy, to murder the hopes and dreams of Africans. In the church, slavery was embraced Segregation was celebrated and hatred toward others was defended in the name of Jesus. And it looked nothing like Jesus. Now, um, I, I know that in just a simple message of 30 minutes or so, I, I can't share everything and I, I can't offer solutions. Um, it's kind of funny. I'm a 55-year-old white guy, you know, middle-class guy talking about racism. And we all have a story. We all have stories whether, you know, your skin is white or black or whatever. But the reality is God has a story. And what I want to talk about today is what's most important and is what does God say about it? When we open the pages of the Bible, what can we learn? How can we align ourselves with God's heart and God's truth? That's what really matters to me. I don't suppose that anything will change in a person's heart in 30 or minutes or so. But I know that when we Ascribe to God's word and God's truth, he can bring change. He can bring repentance. Well, I want to talk about four words today, and I want to use dictionary definitions, Merriam-Webster def dictionary definitions, and kind of then ask, what does the Bible say? Well, first word is the word race, and this is how the dictionary defines race, each of the major groupings into which humankind is considered in various theories or contexts to be divided on the basis of physical characteristics or shared ancestry, people of all races, colors, and creeds. Okay, race. Well, what does the Bible say about race? Pretty fascinating because when you open the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, this is how we see the beginning. Uh, starting in verse 26, then God said, let us make humankinds, human beings in our image, they to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground because God had already created those things that Adam and then Adam and Eve were the, the, the ultimate of God's creation there. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, at the very beginning of the Bible, my friends, we discover something about race. We discover something about human beings. Well, I think we discover at least two things. First of all, most importantly, we were created. Uh, the Bible just 
you know, never talks about evolution, never talks about, you know, uh, uh, mutations and, and all these things over billions and billions of years. The Bible says that God actually formed us out of the dust of the ground, that we were made, that we were fashioned by his hand. We are not the byproduct of millions and billions of years of evolution. And I'm not here to argue that point today. Or, and if you disagree on that, that's fine. And we can have conversations about that. I'd love to. But when you go to the Bible, the Bible says that God made us. Now, why, why is that important? Well, it means we're not here by accident. Uh, we have a purpose in this life. We didn't just come about. The Bible argues again and again the value of each human being, that God supernaturally created us and therefore loves us. I mean, if we simply evolved, just take a look at it. If you just go back to Darwin's survival of the fittest, then actually evolution promotes racism because if one race can rule above another, well, that's just survival of the fittest, right? If you believe in just a, you know, just some kind of humanistic evolution, how dare you say that all are equal because only the fittest survive. That's how it's been going on for billions of years, if you believe that theory. God says, on the other hand, that we were lovingly made. You were handcrafted. You were made in his own hands with his own breath. That because of that, every human being has intrinsic beauty and value. No matter what they look like on the outside to us, God made us and we are special. But we weren't just made by him. We were made in his image. That is so clear in the scriptures. It says several times that when God fashioned us, he made us in his image. Now, theologians would argue and debate for centuries on what that means. We know that it means at least there's something special about us. There's something that reflects God, that God placed something of himself in us, a, a personability, a, a spiritual soul, a life. And, and it means that we are created above all the other things that he created. I mean, we certainly, we certainly know this without a fact, and theologians have argued this for centuries, that you know, we know that cats were not created in the image of God. We know that, probably in the image of Satan, if you ask me. Um, but we know that as human beings, we were made by his hands to reflect him to one another and back to have a relationship with him. And there is something in you and me that reveals God. There is something in every person you pass on the street, every person you see in person or in a magazine or on television or in a movie, every person has a reflection of God and his nature. There's a spiritual soul that connects us. Now, we also know, as you continue in Genesis, and you get to chapter three, that we blew that up. We marred that image. And today, we see the brokenness, and we see the sinfulness of what sin has done, not, not just to humanity, but to the world. And so we live in a broken world. We live in a broken system. And even amongst people, we know that sin has marred the very image of God in people's lives at times, and we distort that. But you need to hear me. There is never a day when you pass someone on the street that you look into someone's eyes. There's never a day that you, you would have a doubt that that person was made in God's image, to be known by God, to be loved by God. In fact, if you're watching this and you do not know God, you do not have a relationship with him, he loves you. He, you are made special to know him. And when you know him, there is this completion of life that can't come with anything else we might attempt to fill our lives with. We know that we've rebelled. We know that we've fallen. We know that we've walked away from God's image. But the reality is, no matter the origin, no matter the language, no matter the skin color, every single human being 
has a worth because of God. Martin Luther King was arguing this when he wrote uh, part of his letter from a Birmingham jail, and he said it this way. He says, there are two types of law, just and unjust. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just, and any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. The reason we have a struggle in our nation today is because we have segregated, and and that segregation brings racism. We would think that race brings segregation, but the truth, I was talking to, to Pastor Shane about this, is that when we in our hearts and minds divide and when we subject people to boxes or circles or colors or shapes or sizes or languages or whatever, we then can easily in our heart look down upon people. But regardless, according to King here, which I absolutely believe, regardless of what others may say, mankind's laws, if there is a moral law, if there is something in every human being that reflects God's character, God's goodness, his nature, then any law that begins to suppress that and look down upon that and to say that some human beings are less than is an unjust, immoral law. So where, where did the wide variety of people come about? I mean, there, there's, there's, there's a reality that when you, God created Adam and Eve and he put within them, uh, you know, the, the potential for every human being that was ever born, and then you could go to, to Genesis 6 and, and the world is flooded and only uh, Noah and his family ate people, and then you get to Genesis 11 when the nations are scattered, God changes languages, and then they disperse and move amongst the nations of the world, create the nations, and we know genetically that people change because of location. We, we see that, and so all of the groupings of people we would call races were all from originally that line. Uh, But what's fascinating is the Bible doesn't use that word race. The Bible says there's only one race, and that's humanity. There's only one race. There there are different nations. The Bible says there are different tribes. The Bible says there are different languages. But according to the Apostle Paul, when he speaks in Athens in Acts 17, he says, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. See, the Bible goes out of its way to say there are not many races. There's just one. The Bible says that, I mean, it goes out of its way to say you don't judge a person based upon physical appearance. You don't separate people according to that. You don't differentiate people. The Bible says, in fact, you get to the end of the book, Revelation. I don't have it on the screen. Read Revelation chapter 7. When all nations when all languages, when all tribes worship Jesus Christ. That's how the Bible describes the differences, not in a disparaging way of race, but as one race, the human race, with many tribes, with many, with many opportunities to be communities together. Well, then, if that's race, what is racism? Again, dictionary definition, prejudice. We're prejudging people. We are evaluating, we're discriminating, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. That's racism. Now, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible do you find support for treating people as any less than they are, made in the image of God. 
Racism is a sin, and any attempt to uh, define it otherwise really comes from the sin in our heart. The Bible declares, again, because we all have fallen short of God's standard, there is sin that resides in our heart. And some people decide to flesh that out with hatred, with greed, with anger, with hostility towards people that are not like them. But it doesn't make it right. It's still wrong because it's a part of the sin. And the beauty is, is that God's answer for any and all sin is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The answer for racism is a relationship with Christ. And though, even though, again, even though the church went along with it in the South and they used the Bible to defend the racist actions of slaveholders and, and what would happen you know, when you owned human beings, that's not what the Bible said. They used Jesus out of context. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 says, because of what we have in Jesus Christ, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God, God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, why would Paul need to write that? Well, because in the first church, there, was, there were racist tendencies. There was racism. The Jewish people believed that they were superior, and they looked down upon other people. They actually taught that other nations were hated by God. The Pharisees said that Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew, they were made, they were created to fuel the fires of hell. Now, if that's not racism, nothing is racism, right? And so all of a sudden, Jews and Greeks and all different nations are following Jesus Christ, men and women, when there were huge lines of separation, slave or free, amazing lines of separation. We are all one in Christ. See, at the cross, the ground is level and all come to Jesus. If you look at history and the truth, I don't know how white supremacists square the truth with, with their belief, but Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew. He was brown-skinned his entire life, and he died on a cross so that we could not just be saved in the way that we would think to go to heaven, but that we would take upon his skin. We would take upon his clothes. We would take upon his identity here on the earth and live that way. Peter himself had amazing racist tendencies, and, and God dealt with this in Acts chapter 10 when he looked down upon the Gentiles. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news, the gospel for the people of Israel. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So there is no room for racism in our hearts. There's no room for racism in God's family and God's church. It undermines, it destroys the very nature of being created in the image of God. That means, again, that racism is one of the greatest evils of the world. The enemy is perpetrated on us because it has pitted human being against human being. And it betrays the very heart of God when all of us have been made and made in his image. Now, I know you're sitting there, and you're sitting there in your pajamas, and you've got your morning cup of coffee. And I understand that you're there, and it's easy to get defensive when I talk about this. It's easy to say, but Pastor James, you don't know about my upbringing. You don't know about my story. You don't know uh, about all the black friends I have or whatever. And we, we do all that stuff. And it's easy for us to write it off as a Southern issue. Uh, but have you ever stopped to take a look at Oregon's history? 
oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's unbelievable. Did you know that in 1844, when we were a territory, when we were a property, we were not yet a state, that all black people were ordered to get out of the state. We were a free state, meaning uh, that we did not become a slave state, we, but we were a whites-only state. And if you were black or if you were mulatto, a child of a black and white union, you were ordered out. And if you did not get out, you would be severely whipped. There were lash laws that were created. The provisional government declared that not less than 20 or more than 39 stripes be repeated every six months until you, as a black or mulatto person left. In fact, in 1857, 1857, Oregon wrote the exclusion of blacks into its very constitution. Let me just read these words. No free Negro or mulatto not residing in this state at the time of the adoption of this constitution shall ever come reside or be within this state or hold any real estate or make any contract or maintain any suit therein and the legislative assembly shall provide by penal laws for the removal of public officers of all such free negroes and mulattoes for their effectual exclusion from the state and for the punishment of persons who shall bring them into the state or employ or harbor them therein that's oregon When Oregon entered the Union in 1859, it became the only state in the United States that actually began as a whites-only state. That's Oregon. In 1869, 10 years after our adoption into the nation, we were one of just six states that refused to ratify the 15th Amendment, declaring blacks having the right to vote. And that wasn't repealed until 1959. If you just go on, if you just type in whitest city in America, Portland is in the top five. Uh, We may think that we're far from the South and far from racism, but racism isn't about location. It's about the heart. From the moment the first slaves were brought to Virginia in 1619 to the Civil War beginning in 1861, where Southern state fought for the rights to slavery. I know history is being rewritten but it is written into the actual declaration of states such as Mississippi and Virginia that the reason for the war was because they wanted the right to have slaves. To the hundred years of Jim Crow laws that followed, that excluded blacks, slavery has been called America's original sin, corrupting the culture and politics of the nation. And again, unless you think, yeah, but, you know, we're here in, in the West suburbs and, and we're here, we're white evangelicals. We don't think that's an issue anymore. Barna did a poll recently asking several questions about race. And among white evangelical voters, the number one answer for the solution to slavery and the issue of racism and dealing with their past was simply this. If we just stop talking about it, it'll go away. My friends, it will not go away if we refuse to address the issue. We cannot go forward unless we go back, which leads me to my next word. It's the word repentance. The action of repenting, turning from, doing a 180, sincere regret or remorse. Each person who turns to God in genuine repentance and faith will be saved. That's how the dictionary defines repentance, a turning away. Prejudice is based upon what we call race or ethnicity or social economic status and political views, and it's deeply woven into the human heart. 
I mean, it entered with original sin. You see it in the Old Testament with the Jews. You see it in the New Testament with the early Christians. The early church was infected with these tendencies. In fact, from the earliest days, the early church wrestled with the issues of ethnic and religious walls that had grown up for centuries. When you read the whole understanding of church history, and then you get into American history, slavery was supported. In fact, slaves were not about, in many states, were not allowed to be baptized when they came to Christ. Why? Because the slave owners knew that that would bring an equality that they couldn't justify by their actions. And so blacks, slaves, were not allowed to be baptized. But Jesus, my friend, came to pull down, to tear down, to demolish these walls. Jesus' vision of his church as a new community is every language, every tongue, every tribe gathered together in repentance. A couple verses for you from Galatians 3. Paul says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism, all have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. That means we have a new identity. Our identity is no longer about our heritage, our history, about our language, our tongue, our tribe. It's about Jesus. And then we see this in the Old Testament, one of my favorite verses from the book of Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. The reality is God puts it upon us, his children, to do something about this, to act in such a way. And friends, I love you. I love my church. Um, I love the hard work that we have done throughout the years for speaking up for those who have no voice, for ensuring justice for those being crushed. But we still have a long way to go, even in the suburbs. In the book of Acts, when we started seeing the church stretch out into Samaria, before it even went to the Gentile territories, we took a look at these two slides. The first one being a slide um, about the idea of you know, just the population, the demographics, and, and seeing where Hillsborough is, uh, 58% Caucasian, uh, 23% has Hispanic, Latino, 11.5% Asian, two or more, 4.5%, black or African-American, 1.5%, uh, Hawaiian, that 0. 0.53, that's just chemo right there with his hair. That's, that's how he got that right there. Uh, other races, 019 uh, but the reality is this, is that, yes, we still are predominantly Caucasian. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we look at our church, that's, that's Hillsboro. This is our church. These are the nations of the people that attend and are a part of our church family. We have all of these and maybe even more now because we've been online that are represented. We actually have people participating in Pakistan, so we can add another one up there. But the reality is, is that we come from all over the world. And so that final word I want to bring into play is the word reconciliation. It's when we come together, the act of reconciling, as when former enemies agreed to an amicable truth to, br truce, to bring into agreement or harmony, to make compatible or consistent. The idea here is that Jesus Christ has brought us together. In Ephesians 2, 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He has united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross... He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. You could go and you could take that and you could say, he united blacks and whites into one people when he united Asians and Indians into one people. He united those that were far from one another. In fact, he broke down the wall of hostility 
Theologians believe that that refers to the wall that was placed in the temple area that kept the Gentiles out. They said, yeah, you can come and worship God, but you cannot draw close to him because only a certain group of people, a certain race, and yeah, you can adopt our beliefs and you can proselytize into our beliefs, but you will never be allowed close to God like we are. And so the truth of the matter is this, is that Christ has broken and destroyed all of those walls. John Piper wrote, and I don't have it on the screen, but he said this, the bloodline of Jesus Christ is deeper than the bloodlines of race. The death and resurrection of the Son of God for sinners is the only sufficient power to bring the bloodlines of race into the single bloodline of the cross. Christianity, as you study its history, is the most ethnically diverse and culturally diverse belief system in the world. All other belief systems are geographically based on the place of their origin. But Christianity has spread across the world and it accepts all tongues, all tribes, all nations. Now, how do we reconcile? I have a, just a short two-minute video I want to show you of what racial reconciliation looks like in the midst of tremendous pain and suffering. Let's watch this together. This panic-filled scene in September of last year after former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger shot and killed an innocent man, Botham Jean, in his own apartment resulted in this sentence. Ten years imprisonment in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Geiger said she thought she had walked into her own apartment. CBN reporter Amber Strong reported on the tragedy and the response by Jean's church. I've interviewed his friends, his ministers, I talked to his teachers, I talked to his uh, employers, and it was all a consistent message that Botham John was a servant, that he was kind from the least to the greatest. The 10-year sentence with the possibility of parole after five is far less than the 99 years in prison Geiger faced. Outside the courthouse, the sentence sparked protests and intense confrontations. But inside the courtroom, Botham Jean's brother, 18-year-old Brant Jean, showed tremendous forgiveness toward Geiger after the sentence was imposed. I forgive you, and I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I want the best for you, because I know that's, what, that's exactly what Botham would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Then an amazing show of grace that attorneys, court employees, and reporters said they'd never seen in all their years. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. After Brant Jean hugged the sobbing former officer, another remarkable show of love State District Judge Tammy Kemp gave Geiger a Bible and directed her to read John 3.16 and even hugged her as well. The district attorney said Brant Jean's act was an amazing act of healing and forgiveness that should guide the community going forward. Mark Martin, CBN News. Only in Jesus Christ could we ever find the strength to forgive, to be reconciled. Race Racism, repentance, reconciliation. I, I thought about and wrote down a few action points for us this week. 
Number one, I, I would ask us to go inside, to actually search our own hearts. As David said, search my heart, O oh God. See if there's any wickedness in me. Ask God to open your eyes to your own personal blind spots in this, to your prejudices, to racial sins. It may not be about someone of another color. It might be of another neighborhood or of another weight classification or another economic status. Prejudices are deep in our hearts and hatred is there for people. Resolve to push against your natural inclination to gravitate towards people of your own skin color and therefore justify your actions. That's the first action step. Another action point would be to build relationships with people that are different from you. Seek out people that are different. Listen. Just listen. Ask questions and listen for people's stories. Don't judge. Just listen and begin to interact with people. Have people who are different from you actively involved in your life, in your family. And number three, take personal action. What can you do this week to provide hope, to provide security, to provide safety, to provide empathy, to provide compassion toward people who are feeling outcast, who are feeling oppressed, who are feeling discouraged because they're fighting a war that will never seem to end? Talk to people about it. Talk to your children about this. Have a conversation today at lunch about racism, about your own past and your history. It takes honesty to talk about what we call race, but the Bible calls the human race. What we call racism and the hatred in our heart. It takes honesty to talk about repentance when we have to change and we have to stop behaviors Maybe language, maybe jokes, maybe conversations, maybe Facebook posts, maybe political party. (laughs) And when we have to reconcile because Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And what he says, my friends, goes. And he has brought us all into his family through Jesus Christ. When we come to him, when we receive his forgiveness, don't forget you were made and you were made in his image to be known to be loved and life will not make sense apart from that relationship pray with me father we live in a world that is so far from your image but you've said very clearly that the thief satan comes to steal and kill and to destroy and he has done it he's doing it he continues to do it and we watch a wounded broken world May we not sit on the sidelines with our opinions. May we not sit on the sidelines with our judgments. But may we get involved and see people redeemed, actually reconciled to you. May we be ministers of reconciliation in our world with the message of freedom in Jesus Christ. And Father, for those, myself, the first in line, just having a color skin that is giving me advantages that I don't even know I have, who's given me open doors that I don't even realize I've had. May we lead in a charge of freedom for all through Jesus Christ. May we be a family, a church, a new community. May sunrise represent the breaking down of hostility and barriers because I know those walls exist in our church. I know that fear and those judgments exist. May Jesus 
be known on our lips, on our arms. May we wear his skin, his clothes, his language, and lead the world in reconciliation because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.